Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Tony Castillo, who's an elite nutrition expert specializing in sports nutrition and aiding athletes, business leaders, and anyone seeking to boost their performance through nutrition. Tony's background in dietics led him to work with major league baseball teams, such as the Toronto Blue Jays and the University of Florida. In today's episode, Tony shares his mission to teach others about the significance of healthy lifestyle modifications that can optimize their performance in every area of their life. Welcome to Lifeology. James, thank you so much for having me. Super excited being that we're both in South Florida. Just excited to talk with this beautiful weather we're not having because it's raining one minute I know. and the other. <laughs> well, that was a mouthful for me to say. I was stumbling over my words, but you've done so many amazing things. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you specifically because I was telling you offline here, I am a little under the weather today. So people who see me, I uh, had some uh, viral infection. I'm all as well, but you can see I look a little bit different. I'll be honest, my thoughts are a little slower, but we're going to have a great show today. And Tony's going to give us some great information about nutrition to even help me during this time as well. So, Tony, how did you get into this industry? Because I, I was reading your background, but there's so much there, personal information that I'd love for you to share about your journey as well. Absolutely, James. So, again, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here, and I appreciate you. As you said, the show must go on. So, <laughs> as the show must go on, James, my own backstory, it, it, it's going through that same the show must go on theory. When I was 13 years old, I went to go see a urologist with my mother, and the urologist was also female. And the reason this is all important is that I was overweight. Uh, I was being mm -hmm. made fun of. I was bullied by the way I looked. I was just a heavy kid. Yeah. And I wanted to change that. I got blood work, came back normal, went to go see a urologist. And at that point in time, she said to me, everything is normal. You just have something called gynecomastia, which is because mm -hmm. it's overweight. You have man boobs. Yeah. And she said, you have two options, Tony. She said, you can either get testosterone replacement therapy or plastic surgery. And this is at 13 years old. Wow. I, I thought to myself, there's no way there's got to be something else that I, I, I yeah. have to do or can do. So we left that meeting and I felt depressed, anxious, didn't know what to do. Uh, my mother herself had gone through a lot of different diets. So that's where I learned my diet culture from. Mm -hmm. I say that because you couldn't keep bread in the house. We even had I, in my room, I had a big one of those big bowls of uh, Cheeto Cheeto puffs that you get like the, mm -hmm. the cheese ball mm -hmm. puff in my room because my mom didn't want it out. And I'd have to eat it in my room almost in hiding from her. So I was really uh, my parents were also divorced. So it was a lot of emotional eating on that side. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I got uh, at the end of my high school, I like to say career, right? Uh, I was playing high school football. I weighed about 250 pounds. I was an offensive lineman, really big guy. 
when a friend of mine gave me a bodybuilding meal plan and a bodybuilding weight loss workout plan. Well, James, I did it. I lost the weight and I felt great. I was looking at myself in the mirror and I try to use my man boobs to my, to my, uh, <laughs> as, as an asset instead of an obstacle. So what I did, I look in the mirror every day because this is when a lot of the bodybuilding guys were coming on. They were able to move their pec muscles, right? And I would stare yeah. at myself in the mirror, just come on, just move a pec. Come on, just, especially after doing, uh, this is the first time I've shared this story, this <laughs> part of the story, but after doing pushups and all these things, just come on, just move yeah. it eventually. I remember when the first time I could control my pec muscle and I was like, yes, I can do it. Um, I remember I did that too as a kid. Right? So I'm glad we can relate on that, James. Yeah. So I'm just there staring at the mirror. The first one popped and I'm like, yeah. So um, it's the end of high school. Then I went to college and I gained all the way back. I couldn't follow mm. that meal plan. Beer, yeah. pizza, tacos, all that stuff tasted better than counting out my goldfish or triscuits and having a cheese stick on me, all those things. So I became a preoccupied with my body and how I looked. Mm-hmm. And all throughout college, I gained weight. I lost weight. I yo-yoed. I did Atkins at the time, and South Beach was mm-hmm. very popular. South yeah. Beach diet. I did a lot of the fat burners that were popular at the time. Uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she was taking a ballerina skinny tee that was only for women to, to lose weight. I was taking it behind her back because I was trying to figure out why it only worked for women. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: it was a laxative, so <laughs> definitely wasn't oh. doing anything. <laughs> that was why. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was doing sprints <laughs> to the bathroom. So it wasn't helpful at all. And then working out in the gym, we always hear things about different protein powders, different yeah. pre-workouts, things that were going to help me. And they never did, James. And mm. I finished uh, my degree in biology and chemistry uh, down in, in South Florida. And then eventually it was a Halloween night. After a couple of drinks, I broke my foot dancing. I was just having too much fun. And the first thought that came to my mind was, how am I going to work out? And I knew that oh, something was shit. wrong. Right. Like, yeah. how is it? Because I was working out two times a day and eating under 1500 calories to hit this weight goal. To look the way I did. Oh, my gosh. And it was just wow. really disordered eating. Well, I took a year off school and I went to an open house and there was a degree in nutrition. James, I thought nutrition, you could just work at a gym and bam, you know, nutrition. Yeah. Right. I really <laughs> that's thought fair. that's what it was. Fair. Well, yeah. I got my master's in nutrition. and I absolutely loved it. And I knew that's exactly where I wanted to be at, James, because mm-hmm. I wanted to help people and tell them that they needed to fuel their bodies for performance. Well. During that journey, James, I was working at a hospital and there was a gentleman who just had open heart surgery and he had a tube coming out of his, his chest, just getting fluids out. And he's like, are you the food guy? And I'm like, well, I guess you could call me that. But yeah, I'm the dietitian. Yeah. I'm here to do a little bit of heart health education. He's like, well, can you get me fried chicken and mac and cheese? And I was like, you just had open heart wow. surgery because you just had a heart attack wow. and you have fluids coming out of you, sir. I, I think this is the time we need to talk about your diet. He's like, no, if you can't get me my freaking mac and cheese and my freaking um, uh, fried chicken, get the heck out of my room. So I left that room wow. and I said, patient non-compliant. And that stuck with me saying, this is not where I want to be at. These are not the people I want to work with. Mm. So from there, I went to go work at the University of Florida, as you mentioned, with their sports team. Because I want to see how are these athletes eating the foods they eat, yeah. performing the way they perform, and look the way they do. Is it steroids? Is it a supplement they're taking? What is it that's behind the curtain? And honestly, James, it w- when I saw it, it was they were eating for what they were doing. They were eating for performance. Ah, and it yeah, was so crazy to think about. There was a swimmer I remember seeing. He would eat frozen yogurt every night. Like we had a Froyo machine. And I was like, how is he eating frozen yogurt? Looking yeah. lean and just can't keep weight on. But it goes back to this, this cognitive dissonance I had about my own body because I was still preoccupied with how my body looked. I was comparing myself to these swimmers or to these athletes that were the Olympics. Yeah, and I didn't look like them because I'm just not an athlete in that way. Right? Like I still work out and I still consider myself yeah. now an athlete, but that, not to that level. Sure. So I was able to take everything I learned and put it into practice with them. And from there, I was lucky enough to go work with the Major League Baseball team 
and work with these elite athletes that really need to understand how food can help get to that next level to win a World Series, to become a Hall of Famer. Mm. And from there, I took all this knowledge, James. And now I work one-on-one with so many people that have some of these issues because when I worked in baseball, when I worked at the University of Florida, there were a lot of guys that didn't like the way they looked. And it was so, so much like the journey I had that I Mm -hmm. knew that I had to help people like that. Because one out of two guys actually have male body dysmorphia. So on this call, I'm the one out of two, James. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, well, you know, it's funny to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. uh, A lot of the things you say, it's kind of resonates with me as well. I was a chubby, overweight kid and I was made fun of. I didn't have gynecomastia, but I was just, I was just a a thick kid. And then when I went to, um, over the summer from high high school to college, I just lost all the weight and people were like, who are you? Like they didn't recognize me. (laughs) And then from there, I realized though, that I still had not body dysmorphia. So if we use a body dysmorphia in the clinical sense, what it basically is, is an over, um, someone, a person who has over attention to their body to such a degree that, that it's debilitating. They think, um, that there's something so wrong with them that it's, that's all they see, even though when you're, they're observed, it's not the same way. So what I found for myself though, is I, I, I was on those fad diets back and forth and I looked great, but for me, I was wanted to like you, I compared myself to everyone else. And so I think a lot of times people may be watching or listening to this right now, do the same thing. We see people on Instagram, like, oh my gosh, I want that body. And, and it appears easy for those people on Instagram, but they do that every day. That's their living. That's their job. Where people like me, I don't have time to do that all the time. So it's important to really differentiate and distinguish between what your lifestyle is versus perhaps people that do that for a living. When it comes to the aspects of the body dysmorphia that you're talking about and people you work with, what are some of the the dissonance or what are the disconnects between their lifestyle and what and how they want to be honestly some of them aren't doing what's right for their bodies and i think that's okay. one of the biggest things so what do i mean by that they do these fads so one of the biggest ones we hear mm-hmm. now is especially like fasting so a lot of yeah. people i work with they're just so busy they say they don't have mm-hmm. time for breakfast so they adopt it as a fasting lifestyle oh i see anyway, but, <laughs> so they're not yeah, truly fasting right so what they do is they wake up in the morning they get their workout in they slam a protein shake and then the rest of the day they're drinking coffee for energy. So they have no energy. So they look at themselves mm. in the mirror like, why am I dragging? Why am I not feeling my yeah. best? And they just go for another espresso or for another coffee or they take a greens powder because they're just trying to put a Band-Aid on what the root causes, right? Yeah. So when they don't have that energy, they don't feel their best. They look at themselves and they start comparing themselves to others. So I think the first thing is they're not fueling for what they're actually doing. For the amount of work they're putting in, whether it's in their small business, which is in their families, which could be just at the work they're doing at the gym. And that's the other disconnect, right? They're putting so much work in at the gym and they're not seeing the results. And they keep going back to thinking, what is it that I have to do? Super Mm -hmm. discouraging, right? So I think that's one of the biggest disconnects I could see. And that's something I went through myself, James. Like I remember I'd work out and I'd look in the mirror before I could move my pecs. (laughs) I said, why isn't this working, (laughs) right? It was like after one month, after two months, after three months, it's that consistency. So that's a, a big disconnect I see. When it comes to, I really like, that's the second time you said that as far as eating for the activities that you have or for the, um, for the lifestyle you have. What, for someone who is maybe more, they go to the gym maybe for an hour a day or maybe every other day, that's going to be very different, like we said, with it, like, as, as, the, as the athletes. What would that look like as far as the nutrition for someone, you know, a quote, regular person? Yeah, so so many of the regular people I quote unquote work with, <laughs> they're high performers. <laughs> they want to do their best. They want to think their best. Yeah. They want to have clear thoughts. They want to feel like they can seize the day and not the day seize them. So mm-hmm. what, what that typically looks like is drinking at least, first off, hydrate or dehydrate. One of my biggest mottos yeah. is drinking at least half That's your right. body weight in water. 
Why? Because water is about 60% of our body. So if we're not even hydrated, we're losing that mental clarity. We're losing that actual physical activity we can do because we don't have a well-oiled machine. So that's the first Mm -hmm. thing. Drinking enough water is the first thing we need to do. Then when it comes to eating foods, you want to make sure you're eating carbs. And that's the one thing we always hear about people saying, you can't eat carbs. You have to cut out carbs. Well, carbs are a main source of energy. That's what it shows. And I could tell you, James, when I went to school for nutrition, the first thing I thought they were going to say is, stay away from sugar, stay away from carbs. I was waiting Ooh. for it. Well, let me tell you, two years after my master's degree and doing a master's project, that was not the cue. That was not the clue. That was not it. Uh, <laughs> but enough. I thought it was. I was waiting for it, James. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for cut the carbs, get them out of here. Uh, but it just kept being repeated that they're our main source of energy. And if we think about it, carbs are only stored in two areas in our body. It's stored in our muscles and in our liver. And that's it. So that means every time we do any sort of movement, we need to actually replenish it with some sort of carbohydrates. So when we think about that, a lot of people cut it out so they feel that low energy. But they do Mm -hmm. it because they feel like they're going to get quick weight loss. And the weight they lose is water, right? Carbohydrate. Uh, Hydrate. So when they cut out, yeah, (laughs) very easy to do. Boom, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I try to keep things simple, James, because the way it was explained to me, I'm like, all right, how can I make it so we all understand? We're all on the same page. (laughs) So carbohydrates, when we do a low carbohydrate diet or restrict carbs, we drop weight because we're losing water. And many of the people that do these ketogenic diets, which I have nothing against, there's actually a medical nutrition therapy for that. But when they do it, they drop weight and they actually need to worry more about their electrolytes and hydration because they're Mm. urinating so much water and they're excreting so much. So hydration, making sure they're eating enough carbs throughout the day. The other thing is we want to make sure we're getting enough protein throughout the day. Most people are not eating enough protein. So how much is enough protein? you should be doing at least one gram per pound of lean body weight. So that's per muscle. It's not one gram per pound because that's just a little bit too high. Now, what does that look like? And you want to eat that every three to four hours, about one palm, your palm, Mm -hmm. not your partner's palm, not your grandmother's (laughs) palm, not your kid's palm, whoever that is, your palm, the same size and the same thickness. And the reason I bring that up in every three to four hours, there's actually a light switch that goes on and off in your body, Jane. And when it gets turned on, it's when you eat a palm size of protein, it'll help with muscle building. And if you don't eat protein for another three to four hours, that light switch gets turned off and your muscle starts wasting hmm. or you start using muscle as energy. So that's, that's why for us wow. regular folks, we want to eat protein every three yeah. to four hours, make sure we have carbs in most meals, drink half of our body weight in ounces of water, and at least eat at least five servings of fruits and vegetables. So I know that was a very long-winded answer, but I want to make sure I got through it all. No, it's, I, and, I'm, and I want my viewers and listeners to go back and listen to that because that, the information you gave was very uh, it's doable. It's, it's actionable. And I think it's great information as well. I didn't realize every four hours though, that you're, 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 there's atrophy. In other words, you're, it eats itself, the muscles too. So three. Okay. That's, and I also, and also correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's every 20 minutes. If you don't drink enough water, your brain starts to become dehydrated, which causes the, the, the cognitive fog or not an inability to really concentrate. And I don't know the specifics of that, but I believe that as well. So I think the dehydration is something that we probably all experience all the time. We don't realize how dehydrated we really are. We are chronically dehydrated. And the one thing I always tell people, drink water, but you also want to make sure you get enough electrolytes because a lot of people want to eat a less processed diet, which is something I'm totally on board with, right? But what happens when we eat a less processed diet is we have less salt, we have less sodium. And the thing is, if we don't add salt to our food or to our water, then that water is going to come in and go out. That salt acts as a sponge, so it holds water in our body. Mm. So that way it helps our brain stay hydrated, and we're not confusing yeah. that hunger and thirst when we might be thirsty, and we confuse it with hunger, as you were mentioning. 
Yes. It's interesting. Like I, in my own diet, I don't put any, I have salt, but I don't, I don't put it in any of my food. Um, I was using like Mrs. Dash, which has no, no yes. salt at all. But I didn't realize though for, that I would need to have some type of salt because I eat pretty well for the most part. But if I'm not getting enough salt intake, I suppose that is something I need to look at myself. Um, Absolutely. I do know this. There's to, to piggyback off though what you just said as far as hunger and thirst. For most people who really struggle at night with with eating chips mm. and feeling like there's so much they, you know, I just can't stop eating. Just like you said, your, your body different can't differentiate between hunger, thirst, and sleep. And so often, what I tell people is drink a glass of water or just go to sleep. And so in that, because the next morning there's nothing worse than having pizza boxes <laughs> in your kitchen. <laughs> like, dang, I shouldn't have had that. So I, yeah. I agree with you in that respect from a psychological approach as well. That is something we all have to really distinguish between the hunger, thirst, and sleep. Yeah. There's a lot that you've talked about. Um, what is something that beyond the, the aspects of what you just said, what's the mental aspect between the food and, and um, a person's body? That's where I'm someone like you it. would come in. <laughs> because honestly, <laughs> well, I, I always tell people, but I want to do yeah, <laughs> from a dietitian standpoint, I always like to stick yeah. within my scope. The one thing I do see so many people is that all or nothing mindset. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I try to help them break that. And what I do is a lot of the yeah. behavior therapy of trying to change their behaviors and habits so they can make it sustainable. So we have the people that come in. Um, a, a prime example, he, he lives in South Florida. He is mm -hmm. a CEO. He has family in New York and he travels almost 20 days out of the month. And wow. he would go to New York and he would eat pasta and pizza because that's what he grew up. But he would only do it in New York mm -hmm. because he had a bin. He would have to eat so much of it because that was the only time he could uh, eat. Ah, interesting. And I said to him, what happens if we can include pasta and pizza on like a weekly basis? He's like, no way that would happen. I'm like, why? He's like, well, it's going to make me fat. And I was like, well, let's forget about the fat. What are you doing now? What's the behavior you're doing? He's like, well, when I go to New York, I'll just binge on all of that. And I'm like, so let's just talk about the behavior. Let's not worry about gaining sure. weight or losing weight right yeah. now. Right. Like that's just not a good relationship to have with food. So once we broke that relationship with food and he was having pizza weekly, he was having pasta weekly. When he went to New York the next time, he didn't binge on it. He ate a normal portion. He's like, it didn't taste as good as I remember. I'm like, because we got huh, rid of that feeling yeah. of that you needed to eat all of it at that same point in time, that it's okay to eat pasta. It's okay to sure. eat pizza. Right. So I think that all or nothing mindset where we feel like we have to do everything right is what typically leads us to failure. It's more of that 80-20 rule that we love to talk mm -hmm. about. If you're doing it right 80% of the time, the other 20%, you're, you're going on the, off the rails per se, you're doing fine. And that looks like in a meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we have 21 of those a week. So the 80-20% rule is having 17 of those being exactly on point with four of them being whatever oh. you want, right? Just keeping it like simple, that. right? And yeah. if we're talking about someone that's going into a competition or someone that has a very big meeting, that's when we lean more into the 90, 10, 95, five rule, where we need to be a little okay. bit stricter in what we're looking at. I don't like to use the word strict, but a little bit closer to, to perfection because you have something big coming up. So we want to make sure you have the right fuel. But outside of those points in time, you can be 80, 20 and live the lifestyle you want and look the way you want. That's a really good rule of thumb. And that, once again, I know people are going to go back and listen to this because you have so much salient information here that we all need to, to recognize. I recently did an article with Pop Sugar. It was about Almond Mom. So Almond Mom is a, it's a term that's used for um, parents who give their own, quote, bad nutritional advice to their kids. And in that, the, the kids then have this concept of what it means to eat. They associate good and bad with food. Um, there's good food. There's bad food. When you should eat it, when you should not eat it. And it's, it's so unhealthy. And so in that, we find there's a cultural aspect of what our, we do what our parents taught us. 
And then we think that's reality. And then we do what the world teaches us. And pretty soon we don't have this understanding of what is great nutrition as well. Can you help distinguish between the good and bad aspects of food? Wow. What a, I love that question, James, because I've heard almond mom, but I did not know the meaning of it until you just stay, stated it. And I can now say my mom is an almond mom. Uh, she's the one that taught me all of my previous diet uh, culture. She no. doesn't even let me have, uh, she doesn't even have bread in her own house uh, when I no. eat bread probably every day, if not every other day. But the distinction between good and bad food, I always like to say, what kind of fuel are we putting into our car? So mm -hmm. uh, if we have a Lamborghini, are we putting premium or regular gas? We're probably going to put premium, right? Because we want it to run at its yeah. best. And if we put regular gas, not going to run as well. Now, if we have a Toyota Corolla, nothing wrong with Corollas. I've driven Corollas in the past. Uh, we, if we put that regular gas, it's going to run just fine. But if we put premium, it's going to get a couple more miles per gallon. So when it comes to food, I always like to look at it. How is it going to fuel us? So when we're looking for food such okay. as donuts or pizzas or pastas or things that are categorically bad for us, I always say, when can we include it in our diet? So okay. I always like to think before and after activity, because that's when our body can utilize that fast acting carbohydrates or things such as sugar for that. Right. And I also want to think about when are we going for those quote unquote bad foods? And as you mentioned earlier, right, when we talk about sleep, so many of us go for the chips, we go for the handful of nuts or there's ice cream in, in the freezer. We grab a spoonful, then another spoonful. And then by the time we go back, half a carton's gone and we're like, what happened? <laughs> well, we don't focus on our sleep. We know that for every hour we lose, we tend to eat 200 to 500 more calories. And typically those calories oh, are going to come really? from something that's oh. higher in sugar, salt, or fat. Why? Because those three things help our brain trigger. That's what we needed from that extra energy. Ah. Because that extra energy we're looking for because we're neglecting our sleep, our body wants it quick, it wants it fast, and it wants it to do something to give you that extra energy to stay up that extra hour. So that's why we typically tend to eat those foods at night. So when we talk about bad mm. foods, I'd like to say, what other habits do you have around it? Because it's not necessarily that food is good or bad morally. It's just, why are you reaching for it? What's the background that I sure. don't understand? For association. example, mm -hmm. exactly. What's that association? I had a yeah. client that she wouldn't have cookies in her house. And I was like, why? She's like, cause I'm gonna eat the whole box. And I'd go, why? And she's like, because I'm like, because what? And it wasn't until eventually a few sessions later, she came to me. She's like, when I was a kid, my my parents had a fridge downstairs and it had a chain on it and a, and a lock on it. Oh, I was like, okay, wow. what was in it? Christmas cookies. And every, every day or every few days, uh, I'd see my dad come down, unlock it and eat the Christmas cookie. And he'd give me one. So it was almost a challenge mm, that she knew that cookies were sure. bad because you could only keep them in this locker. And she wasn't allowed to have it unless her dad would open it secretly so that her mom wouldn't find out. So that was the reason why she couldn't have cookies, wow. right? And now she's able to eat Oreos, keep Oreos in her house. But it's one of those things that we can't break it until we know why, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to what bad food is, why is it bad? Who gave you that? Was it the almond mom, which again, I've had out <laughs> here, right? Where are you getting that information from? Is it from someone credible? Sure. And what's holding you back from utilizing it? Because if, <laughs> if Oreos are holding you back, we got to find a way to put Oreos to make, it, make you move yeah. forward. To piggyback off that as well, when it comes to emotions, there's no such thing as good or bad emotion. It's uh, mm -hmm. when you use the emotion, is it an appropriate time? And for how long do you use that emotion? And so oftentimes people think rage or anger or whatever it might be, sadness are bad emotions, but they're not. It's just simply, is it the right time, the right place, and how long are you holding on to that? So it's, it's our same concept as well. And so, but I really like how you associated the aspect of you know, her, back, her backstory with that. But we do have this, this understanding that 
there is a linkage somewhere. And real quickly, we only have a couple more seconds here, but all of our, all of our uh, self-soothing behaviors derive from our five senses. So when we were little infants, whatever our parents did, our caregiver, caregiver gave us, that's how we soothe. So we either saw our caregiver, we could smell the, the perfume of our caregiver, we watched something, we heard something, all of that comes from our self, as our self-soothing behavior. So when it comes to eating, that is our comfort food. That is a, a sense of taste. And so if we link back to when we were kids, it's probably what we were taught, how we were able to soothe ourselves was through the sense of taste. And then from there, unfortunately, as adults, we've created this whole aspect of, of our self-soothing aspect for taste, but it's still an unhealthy version of that. So be mindful of whatever a person's self-soothing behavior is based off the five senses will really help them differ differentiate and understand how to still use that sense, that self-soothing behavior in a healthier way and not use it in, in an unhealthy way as it did as a child. Love that, James. Unfortunately, our time is up. We, you and I could literally talk all day. <laughs> if my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to work with you and find out all that you do, where would they find this information online? Well, James, again, thank you for having me on. They can go to nutritionfp.com backslash like lifeology, and they can find three things there. One at the bottom, they can find a 10-question assessment about their health. 10 questions, they will get a response back on how their health is and where it should be at. Two, they can get a 30-day habit tracker that I use with my clients. They change their habits in 30 days. They also get a video attached on how to use that habit track. The third thing is if they really like this call, they want to know more about a diet audit, which we can do, they can schedule a call with me right at the bottom of that page, which is nutritionfp.com backslash, backslash lifeology. And FP stands for performance. So nutritionfp.com backslash lifeology. And just a reminder, I've been there. I went through it all. As you said, I had an almond mom. I had my body <laughs> dysmorphia. I tried every diet under the sun. It wasn't until working with athletes and translating it to people and having them actually use the fuel for their bodies they felt better, they looked better, and performed better. Awesome. Well, Tony Casillo, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on my show today. My viewers and listeners also know that if they can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and I'll link you to Tony Casillo. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest today. Thanks, James. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.